The Titans can get a first down. They don't have to go for the end zone, but they've got to keep the drive alive to have a chance here, or we'll go to a third overtime. Dropping back is Ladd. Fires across the middle. It's complete. Touchdown, and the Titans will go to Wisconsin-Whitewater in the round of 16. That was one of the highlights of first-round action in the NCAA Division III football playoffs for 2009. Here on the Around the Nation podcast for Monday, November 23rd, I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And while Whitewater was practically whitewashing Lakeland and Mountain Union was whitewashing Washington and Jefferson, we had some really good games in the first round, especially in the middle of the brackets. And Keith, that uh, Illinois Wesleyan Wabash game, which we just heard the uh, final clip of, was certainly one of them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always fun to be at a game. You know, Patton, you and I talk about this, and this was on the front page yesterday, that there's this two-hour window in the first round where there's 16 playoff games going on between 32 of the best teams in the country. And uh, it's only physically possible to be at one of them at one time because they all kick off generally about the same time, 12 or noon. Uh, well, I mean, noon locally, but, but you know, sometimes it's 1 o'clock in the Midwest. And, and you get these um, finishes, and they aren't really all that staggered. So yesterday for me personally, you know, I was in uh, in New Jersey at, at, at the Montclair game, and um, I get, you get in the furious updates coming over your cell phone and you're trying to figure out what happened and uh it must have been it was, it was clearly a great finish at uh at illinois wesleyan and uh that's what what we love about the playoffs games like that games like that the little giants titans game uh, i'm sitting up at uh st john's at the uh, st john's co game and uh, uh st john's is about to attempt an onside kick uh, uh central is about to attempt an onside kick I'm listening to Illinois Wesleyan in my ear as uh, Illinois Wesleyan and Wabash are playing in the second overtime. And so while the noon games, the East Coast games, Keith, um, you know, for for pretty much the entirety, were not competitive and were not very much in question in the fourth quarter. We had this uh, span of games kind of where we thought they would be. We we, we picked out this uh, quote-unquote West bracket, the, the St. John's bracket, where we had uh, three games where we were positive could go either way and our our discussion in the triple take this week uh, proved that and then you know Linfield and Cal Lutheran was a bit more of a consensus and that game ended up looking like a consensus on the on the scoreboard as well but uh, you know there were some really tough games against between some really good teams out in this part of the country like you said Pat that's what we expected you know I don't know if if a lot of people expected code to, to beat St. John's necessarily but but you know or you can you can look at it this way you know, in that in that West bracket, the number four team in the country, the number six team in the country, both lost. You know, and and that's uh, there were four four top ten teams going by going by our rankings that lost yesterday in the first round. Part of that, you know, in the case of Central and Mary Harden Baylor, is is you match up two top ten teams in the first round, somebody has to lose. But part of it is just good good playoff football where you know you have a team like Co that goes into St. John's and, and you know we know St. John's was a little banged up, but but goes and plays their best game of the season, I think, and uh, and pulls one out and, and surprises the country. Yep, Coe comes into this game, uh, you know, having a, a really poor history against St. John's as well. If uh, you know, if you look in the record books, there is a a seventy-five to two game in the playoffs, and that is St. John's beating Coe. You know, back in the nineties when Coe was still in the Midwest Conference, there were only four teams in each bracket. Uh, it was it was a kind of a different era back then. You know. In 2002, Co brought one of its better teams, uh, coached by Eric Rayburn, 
Fred Jackson, the Buffalo Bills guy now, uh, was the starting running back for Co. then. And, and, you know, Jackson had a pretty good game, but they still got their uh, got their doors blown off a little bit, 41-14. to 14. So, you know, coming in this year, um, the... You know, I don't know what the consensus. I guess I kind of know what the consensus was in Collegeville, but I, I think that, uh, um, you know, if you knew that St. John's was struggling a little bit on offense because because um, Joe Boyle, their starting quarterback, wasn't a hundred percent, and you knew that uh, you know Coe had kind of quietly put this little run together after the loss to Central. Uh, I I mean, obviously, we know by going from the record that I was not surprised by the outcome of this game, but. Uh, you know, for for number twenty five to beat number four still looks like on paper like a pretty pretty big upset. Yeah, and and it looked like a, a pretty big upset in a couple of different ways too. You know, you, you mentioned the Johnny offense struggling a little bit and and struggling with injuries as well. You know, but they they outgained Co yesterday four eighteen to two thirty five. So it, it wasn't like they they weren't deserving of being the higher ranked team or they were they didn't play to their talent level yes yesterday. But six turnovers. You know, tends to get you beat, and and Coe was nine of eighteen on third down. You know, if you can't get off the field on third down, if you let the team convert fifty percent of the time on uh, on third downs, you're making it awful tough uh, on yourself. Yeah, and here's a, a couple of keys to to some of those stats. First of all, uh, you know, for Joe Boyle, for you know, coming off a uh, coming off an injury to his throwing hand, he was uh, kind of going out there Kurt Warner style, wearing a glove on his throwing hand. He actually looked pretty good. He he was uh, 20 of 34 passing for 285 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, 101 of those yards on two long passes, uh, basically broken plays. He's scrambling around in the backfield, has all sorts of time to throw, just waiting for someone to get open downfield. And in the second quarter, he hit uh, Sam Pet- Peterson for 43 yards for a score. Then uh, Ben Vanderheiden got behind the defense right before halftime with about two minutes left. Uh, came up with came down with a 58-yard touchdown pass. That's a, a, a lot of the offense. And but you know, then again, um, two of the big scores for Coe were on defense when Calvin Thomas uh, took a, a tip pass interception back 93 yards for a score uh, at, right at the beginning of the second quarter, and then at the uh, near the beginning of the fourth quarter, he uh, picked up a fumble and ran it back 76 yards for a touchdown. So you know. Yeah, Coe's, two of Coe's scores were on defense. Two of Coe's scores were really long defensive runbacks, which meant that uh, St. John's had put quite a bit of yardage together to get to that point. Absolutely, and, and you know, it, it's so uh, indicative or of what makes a, a great team. You know, it's not always the, it's not always the same same style of team or the same way you get in the playoffs. You come in with a, with a dominant offense. We look, you know what I mean? We look at some of these... Um, so many, some of the dominant teams come in and they they're just scoring such big numbers that you think wow that's just a great offensive team and uh, I think you know in the case of Coe you know they showed yesterday that that or, or on Saturday that you win there's different ways to win a football game you know you're outgained by almost 200 yards yet you know you put together those six turnovers and two defensive scores you know you, you can you can keep yourself uh, in the game even if you're playing against a team that's that's probably more talented. Coe probably has some good news and some bad news looking ahead to next week. Uh, we'll start with the good news in that uh, they played Saturday's game without uh, their top running back, Sam Hammes, who was injured. He, they thought that uh, he might be able to go. Uh, he looked decent in practice this week, but they ended up holding him out. Uh, he might be back for next week's game, which will be uh, at St. Thomas. St. Thomas, a, a winner on the road in the first round as well. But they're going to lose Brad Boyle, it sounds like. Brad Boyle uh, injured the AC joint in his throwing shoulder. He was, uh, after being knocked to the turf in the fourth quarter, 
Uh, he did not come back in the game. His arm was in a sling. He told us after the game it didn't sound very good for him playing next week. And uh, Calvin Thomas, the linebacker who had the two long runbacks for touchdowns, had something to say about that. Our backups are ready no matter what position they're at. Uh, we are, we're a solid team all around, so whoever goes down, the person behind us is always ready to go. And I know the captains emphasize that because you never know what's going to happen. You know, football is a rough sport, so backups and you know anybody else always have to be on their toes, ready to go. So um, I don't have any doubt uh, whoever's coming in, a second string or third string, um, they'll get the job done. Keith, when you get to this point in the season, uh, you know, guys are already pretty naturally banged up as it is. I, I think in a lot of cases, coaches kind of uh, scale down the, the physicality in practices. You know, St. John's obviously has nothing to scale down. But uh, if, if you're co, um, you're going in now probably with your backup quarterback uh, next week, and it's going to be a little bit of a different, uh, a different experience next week. I don't think you ever want to lose, uh, you know, a key starter, one of your best players going into a game. But And you certainly don't want to lose a quarterback because that's the only guy that touches the ball every single play. You're guaranteed. And that's the guy that, you know, in your, in your offensive huddle is your is your leader. And a lo- on a lot of teams, that's your, your emotional center, at least on offense. That said, you know, a playoff team has to have some depth. And, and you have to have at least, you know, two levels of guys that, that you believe in. And I think uh, Calvin's quote was, was right on the money that you just you have to believe in the guys that, that you play with. And they're not all going to be starters, but these are guys that, that you, you know, you, you sweat with in camp. And I think when you're on a team, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily view guys as starters and, and, and backups. And, you know, you, you've, they're, all, they're all your friends and they're all guys that, you, you know, you, you tend to believe in if you see them go through the workouts and stuff like that. So I think, you know, when, it, when a second-string guy comes in, at least within a team, they don't necessarily expect a lot of drop-off. And it kind of goes with the theme of the, the first-round win for Coe. You know, there was, there's a little story from, from that game where, where the coach read you know, before the game, a letter from uh, from Fred Jackson, the Buffalo Bills running back, who uh, who was co-graduate, and, and said, you know, believe in yourself and the guy standing next to you. Go out and you can get the job done. And and that's sort of how it is when you're on when you're on a team that's a really good team. You know, you you do you believe in the guys you play with, and these are the guys you practice with and you've gone through camp with. And uh, I think, you know, the coaching staff has has a lot more work to do. In terms of tailoring the game plan to to whatever the second string quarterback skill set is, than uh, than the players do in in getting to believe him and get behind him. How much work can you do in, in one week to get a backup quarterback ready to start? Well, I, I think kind of what I said was you know you you know over the course of the season what what plays that that the backup quarterback is good at what he runs well. You know, there are teams we've talked about this once before on the podcast. There are teams who have a, a pocket quarterback and then they have a, a the second string guys more more mobile. And so you know, you can call more rollouts or or, or what have you. It uh you, I think you definitely want to get the backup quarterback comfortable and it, it reminds me of a uh, of a story not about a backup quarterback but about getting a quarterback comfortable. Remember in the in the Stag Bowl um, a couple years ago when Mike Joris was a little little shaky uh, from Mount Union early in the early going, Larry Karras went back to some plays, the very first plays he he'd installed with Mike George, just to get him comfortable, just to get him some stuff that that he ran and 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 you know to get him settled down. And I think that's p- probably a little bit of what Cole will have to do. Maybe establish the run, you know, a little bit next week against St. Thomas. You know, it'll probably be a pretty rowdy crowd. And so you just want to get get the backup quarterback comfortable, get the other guys around. You know, th- those guys are going to be believing in him, but 
it never hurts to see it right away on the on the first couple plays to 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 know that you're going to come out there and um and you're not going to have that that drop off. That you you'll see the backup, and you'll be like, "Good, we're going to be fine today." You know, we're not going to. I'm not going to have to play better than I normally would have to play just to just to keep us equal. You know, and, and uh, it you just have to, to to find ways to to get the quarterback in something that that he feels comfortable in, and get get all the guys you know to to see that they believe in him. St. Thomas uh, advanced to the second round by winning at Monmouth by the score of 43-21. Uh, it was pointed out, Keith, that uh, this is the second year in a row that uh, Monmouth has been shut out in the second half uh, of a, a playoff game they eventually lost. And, uh, you know, it, it's 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 kind of hard to, to lay something like that uh, at the feet of the players. And you got, you got to wonder about, you know, we talk about uh, teams and coaches that make great second-half adjustments, and, and it seems like uh, Monmouth has not uh, been able to step up to that level yet. Yeah, that's a, there's a pretty clear inference from from pulling that stat out that that Monmouth the past two seasons in the playoffs against great teams they've either been out adjusted by the coaching staff uh, the opposing coaching staff or they haven't made the proper adjustments uh, on their own end to con- continue to to put up the points that they put up and and that team is is perfectly capable of playing with a team from a from a you know quote unquote better conference you know when you look at that that first half against St Thomas on Saturday. You know, there was there wasn't Monmouth wasn't wasn't getting blown off the field by any by any means, but getting outscored sixteen to nothing in the second half. You know, Pat, you mentioned it. We we've talked at, at different points before about you know great teams, championships being won at halftime. About about coaches seeing taking what they've seen in the first half and in that little twenty minute period coming up with the adjustment and communicating it to their players so the players can go out quickly and and uh, and execute that adjustment. And, um, you know, obviously Monmouth hasn't been able to do that the past two seasons in the playoffs, and that's keeping that, that program from, from making that leap. And I think they, they, you know, they did win a playoff game last year, but it wasn't a, a real impressive playoff win. And you feel like, you know, I, I know if I was a fan of, of Monmouth, I'd be a little disappointed, I think, in, in, the, uh, in the second half play the past two seasons. If you're not playing teams over the course of the regular season that force you to make those kind of second half adjustments, does that make it difficult to kind of turn that on in a big game? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if if you haven't been in a close game all season, you know, we talked. Remember, a couple years ago, there was that central team that just kept winning games at the end. You know, you you do get used to it, and and a lot of it is sort of the mental hurdle, I guess, of being in a game where where you're like, wow, we could we could lose this game if we don't play well but still going out and being able to play well instead of letting that nervousness sort of overtake you 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 calm down and, and you and you do what you've done all season and you know Monmouth really hadn't been been pushed to do that but I think in their defense they have you know nine games scheduled they really can only go out and schedule one challenging team to play and uh you know this season that was Loris and and that was actually their closest game you know 19 points and they they were just much better than everyone they played, and then you know, that wasn't the case on Saturday. They weren't much better than St. Thomas. They certainly they, they certainly could play with them, but uh, St. Thomas made the better adjustments. You know, at least from afar, that's what it seemed like uh, at halftime, and played a much better second half. We have to come back to one more game in this bracket, Keith. But something that you said just now reminds me of the Trine Case game and Trine uh, you know, wins this game going away at Case fifty-one thirty-eight. And I'm I'm wondering again about you know the not being challenged during the course of the regular season and how that may have uh, played itself out in that game as well. 
Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, Case Case Western Reserve pretty much manhandled you know every team they played, and and part of it, you know, they have a lot more control over their schedule than uh, the Mammoth does. You know, they they could have gone out and, and and tried to get a team that that would push it a little bit, but by the same token, you know, they're the the, the similar type of teams. You know, even in that in that area to them, they were much better than than all of them this season, and. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe you can over overplay some of those type of um, those those type of thing. You know, you can just say maybe trying just was was better than them to begin with. But you you we can take we have that same sort of that same sort of takeout that we have from um, from the Monmouth game. You look at that that trying case game tied twenty eight at the half. You know, trying kicks a field goal early in the third quarter. It's thirty one twenty eight for most of that third quarter, and then from that point on. You know, try and win, try and score three of the next four touchdowns. You know, at one point they're they're ahead in that game, fifty-one thirty-one, in a game that was twenty-eight all at the half. So you know, they played a much better second half. Trine did than uh, than Case Western Reserve did. Trine advances and they will play at Wittenberg on Saturday. Wittenberg defeated Mount St. Joseph forty-two to fourteen. Clicking back over to that uh, Westernmost bracket for a little bit. The the other game we we touched on uh, one top ten game between St. Thomas. And Monmouth, the other top ten game is between, of course, Central and Mary Harden Baylor. And uh, Keith, this game, you know, I guess kind of comes down as advertised, uh, a little higher scoring than I thought it would be, but uh, the the tight game throughout, and uh, Mary Harden Baylor looked pretty good. Yeah, and it was the game we expected it to be. You know, we thought it was going to be the game of the first round, and it turned out, you know, it came down to a two-point conversion at the end, so it was right up there with the with the Illinois Wesleyan Wabash game for the most exciting game. The the I thought the real interesting thing about it was that you know Mary Hart and Baylor opened up that 35-14 lead in, in the third quarter, and uh, and Central rallied. You know, behind Nate's need, scored three touchdown passes in or threw three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, and uh, you know Mary Hart and Baylor obviously scored again. And uh, came down, you know, to to the point where it was forty-two forty, and Central had to uh, get the two-point conversion to tie it. And go back to a uh, extra point being blocked on uh, Central's uh, touchdown, one of their first touchdowns, one of the three in the fourth quarter, blocked by Brinson Bristow for uh, Mary Harden Baylor. That's the guy who may well have uh, saved the season uh, for the crew, because otherwise Central has a chance to just kick the extra point and send it to overtime. When the people, when coaches say football is a game of inches, or they say uh, the the other thing is is you know there's sixty or eighty plays in a game and then five plays to decide the game, but you don't you don't know which five plays those are going to be, so you have to play hard every play. You know, looking back at it, a blocked extra point, a uh, you know a, you know there's there's always there's a touchdown saving tackle or or things like that that happen early in the game that end up being big plays later in the game, especially when it gets to be a close game. It's, I think that's part of what makes football so exciting and what makes a game, you know, between two teams that are probably talent-wise pretty evenly matched, you know, I, I, and, and even kind of similar in the sense that, you know, Central always has those big offensive lines and Mary Harden Baylor obviously lean, leans on its offensive line. And uh, it's, uh, I, I think that's what decides playoff games like this and what makes, you know, I guess conversely, what makes Mountain Union and Whitewater so good is that those those teams don't have lapses they haven't had very many you know over the past four seasons and uh and leading up into this one and and you know a mistake like that we talked about it kind of mid-season uh there was a, a redlands occidental finish 
it came down to, to just a couple plays, and every guy had sort of blamed himself for the one play that he didn't make. And uh, it, it's part of what makes the, the, these games really interesting and real fun. For Central, you know, I think this was a, a season where you didn't really expect uh, this kind of result out of them. It's still a relatively young team. Uh, they're graduating 13 seniors this year. Uh, look like they may well be uh, pretty good again next year at Central and also Co. I think, two, uh, the two teams that made the playoffs out of the IIAC uh did significantly better than expected. Yeah, but by the same token, you know, you end a season where you're 10-0, and 0, and this happened at St. John's and at, Mom, uh, at Monmouth on Saturday. Uh, teams that were 10-0, and 0, as Hampton Sydney's in that group as well, probably probably had designs on winning a couple playoff games and, and maybe, in some people's minds, grand thoughts of, uh, of going to, to Salem. 10-0 and, and to lose in the first round of the playoffs is a little disappointing, and, and it's nice to have a young team and to be bringing you know, either your star player back in, in the case of Monmouth or to be bringing a young team back in the case of Central. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn, I think, for a couple days at all those places, especially you know, in the case of Central where they, were, they had made it such a close game at the end and, and had a chance to tie. Moving on to the south bracket, the uh, game between Thomas Moore and DePauw. And we're joined now by Kevin Nias, who is a uh, occasional uh, color analyst for D3Football.com broadcast, former quarterback at Thomas Moore. So we'll get that out uh, right in front, Kevin, of course. So we're talking about your alma mater, but who you saw yesterday. And I wanted to get kind of a firsthand opinion, uh, your thoughts on the Thomas Moore-DePaw game on Saturday. What we saw, uh, Pat, was the Thomas Moore uh, Saints started out pretty fast on offense, um, the offense is pretty hard to prepare for, um, and what you saw was the first two drives of Thomas Moore uh, getting a, a quick hitter, uh, the speed of Kendall Owens showing on the 70-yard uh, 70, 70 touchdown reception. And then immediately following that, uh, another three and out by Spud Dick. Um, so they jumped out to a 14-point lead before kind of everybody could settle into their seats and, and catch their breath. Um now, you know, once uh, DePaul got used to the speed of the game, obviously the, uh, the, the you know, they started having more success on offense and, and made it a game. So uh, let me ask you this about, um, you know, first of all, I, I guess about DePaul coming off of, you know, the rivalry game that has been the conclusion of their season from, you know, time immemorial. They've never been to the playoffs before. They've never had to go from Monon Bell to first round game. And did you think that, uh, did, did, it, did it look like a, that was a bit of a settling in process for them? I, I think so. I think they were still recovering from what happened uh, right before halftime last week and into the second half. Um, but I think once they they were able to regroup after a couple series, you know, they were, you know, ready to play after that. But there, there was definitely a little bit of a, um, a shock, I guess, as as far as uh, getting into the game um, for them offensively. Um, I think they went three and out on the first two two series. Um, so there, there's definitely something cut some kind of a, an effect from last week. Um, but after the first couple series. Um, you know that was gone, Kevin. What do you think about uh, about about Thomas Moore now that, that you got a chance to see them live? What do you think about their their chances to uh, to make a little noise in that bracket with uh, with Wesley and now Johns Hopkins uh, and Mississippi College being the other three teams? And coming off the field, uh, Johns Hopkins, you know, being a surprise. You know, everybody 
in the crowd and associated with the program was surprised to see Johns Hopkins uh, emerge as a winner. Um, at first glance, they, they match up very well with Johns Hopkins. Um, you know, the uh, the pass defense kind of got scorched yesterday. Um, but, you know, Spud Dick is a, uh, a top quarterback in Division Three. Um, so matching up uh, with Johns Hopkins, it seems like they, you know, stop the run and and run the ball effectively. So I, I definitely think it's a winnable game next week. You know, it is a playoff game. You're facing a team that's won a playoff game. So it's, it's, no, uh, it's not going to be easy, but uh, they're definitely – so definitely a better matchup than going up against Hamden Sydney. You're you're talking about a, an offense that scored 49 points. I'm guessing the uh, the offense isn't really the issue. And you you touched on the on the pass defense, uh, especially in the, in the second half against a team that uh, in Depa that doesn't really run the ball in the first place. It, it looked like uh, that's probably something that uh, Thomas Moore is going to want to work on this week. I definitely uh, want to work on that this week. But you know there was in the second half they they did get. Uh, two interceptions and a fumble um, and uh, to, to stop the drive. In the first half, they had an interception return for a touchdown. There were two returns by the defense in this game to help them get to 49 points. Um, so definitely, you know, there is some work to be done, um, and they weren't able to generate a whole lot of pressure on Spud Dick. The offensive line played really well for DePaul. Um, and that's not something Thomas Moore uh, – is used to from this season. They've they've been able to get after the passer and, and force some mistakes. Um, but the quick three-step game yesterday uh, was perfect. It was perfectly executed by Spud Dick. Kevin, I I don't think you've seen all of Thomas Moore's games this season. But where did you think DePaul stacks up among the the teams Thomas Moore has played this year? Offensively, they're probably the best team they faced. Um, definitely better than than Washington this year's Washington Jefferson team. Um, defensively, somewhere middle of the pack for the uh, PAC conference, um, they didn't uh, they didn't really stop the run. Thomas Moore averaged four yards of carry for the game, pretty close to four yards of carry. Um, but again, they weren't on the field as as much as the 49 points would indicate with the two defensive scores. Um, offensively, a very strong team. Uh, defensively, uh, they made some stops when they had to. Kevin, thanks for your time, and uh, we hope to chat with you again down the road. Hey, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Keith. It's good. I think that's a uh, gives us a little bit of insight into Thomas Moore, and, and it'll be exciting to see how far uh, that team can go. You know, there were, there were quite a few teams yesterday that were impressive in one respect or another, and, and now we have another another round where we don't we get to know some of these teams just how good they are and how good they're going to be. So, Keith, we referenced uh, we referenced the. The Johns Hopkins-Hampton-Sydney game there, of course, uh, Johns Hopkins ends up scoring the last 16 points, and they defeat Hampton-Sydney at Hampton-Sydney 23-7. to and, um, and and you mentioned, uh, of course, teams going 10-0 and and then losing just a, a few minutes ago, but this has to be a real big blow for Hampton-Sydney. Uh, absolutely. I mean, on your home field against a team that probably generally you consider to be a beatable team, you know, you, you're a high seed, 10-0. and uh, Fifth-year quarterback, you know, so that so unlike in the case of Central, we talked about that they don't get to to line up with the same guys and do this again. In fact, that was the whole story of of Hampton Sydney season that they they had convinced a couple of their better players to come back for a, a final season and uh, and give it one more go. And uh, they, they kind of put all their chips on the table with with this season here, and they 
I, I wish I could come up with a better way to say it, but they kind of laid an egg on uh, on Saturday, and uh, probably a lot of credit for that has to go to Johns Hopkins. But uh, it's got it, it's definitely definitely disappointing, I, I think, for Hampton Sydney. Yeah, I mean, Hampton Sydney uh, held to seven points. Uh, their, their previous low on the season was nineteen, uh, and that was a shutout nineteen nothing win. This is a to to score just seven in a playoff game. Um, is yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling to me for a team that had for a team that had that kind of offensive potential and 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 proved it during the course of the season. Yeah, they they came in averaging thirty more than thirty-seven points a game, four hundred thirty yards of offense, and uh, you know the Achilles heel of any team that's that's that good and, and throws the ball that well or that often is uh, is turnovers and uh, four interceptions for Johns Hopkins, uh, including uh, interceptions on three straight possessions. In the uh, in the second half, and uh, a couple of key field goals late in the game, and sometimes that I guess that happens when you you get behind and you feel like you should be winning, and then you start to press a little bit, and, and the defense tees off on you. And, and you know, Johns Hopkins, I think the the uh, the formula for them was you know run the ball with Andrew Case and play good defense. And I probably I'm probably one of those people that thought mm, that's a nice formula, but it's not going to win at Hampton Sydney in the playoffs. And I obviously was was dead wrong. It did enough. Andrew Case averaged just 2.9 yards a carry, but he carried 38 times for 109 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Hewitt Tomlin had a pretty good day at quarterback, 26 of 39 passing for 265 yards and a score. Um, you know, from from listening to Kevin Nias talk about uh, Thomas Moore's weaknesses, you'd have to think that the Hewitt Tomlin's going to have to be a, a a a a bigger force in this game passing the ball coming up coming up next week. And that you know the the fun thing about the playoffs is. These coaches, they get the video of their opponent. You know, they don't know who wins in, until we all know who wins. So then they then they get the video of their opponent, the uh, the DVD, and uh, take. A, they probably go home probably as soon as they get home on on Saturday and start looking at that. Look at it again on Sunday. Start to figure out where the team is injury wise, and then try to put that game plan together. You know, by Monday, I guess, so they can get it installed. Monday at practice, Tuesday at practice, Wednesday. And and then you know do the walkthrough on on Thursday or Friday. I mean that, that's what makes the playoffs fun. It, it is you get, you get now. Johns Hopkins has to figure out how to match up if Tom, if Kevin is right and Thomas Moore's weakness is defense. That's not necessarily Hopkins' strength, but they got to figure out how to make some plays in the passing game next week to beat a pretty good Thomas Moore team. Yeah, and to kind of talk about that process a little bit. Um, if you're uh, if you're Thomas Moore, for example, you've uh, you've beaten DePaul and you uh, find out shortly after the game that you're going to play Johns Hopkins, you get immediately three game videos from the NCAA's rep on site. You get the, the last three games. Of course, you don't get Saturday's game because the, the, the video isn't in hand yet. But if you're Thomas Moore, you're going to be looking at Johns Hopkins beating Juniata 58-7 going to be looking at them beating F&M 51-13 and you're going to be looking at them beating McDaniel 38-14. You're not going to get to see the Hampton-Sydney game and unless you've done your legwork long before the uh, postseason started, you're not going to be able to get your hands on the uh, or sinus loss from October 17th or the Delaware Valley loss back at the beginning of the season because um, coaches are actually prohibited from sharing uh, video at this point of the season only through the official NCAA uh, game exchange. Yeah, and and there have been cases, the Pat, that we remember where where teams pretty sure they're going to the playoffs, 
and, and have dialed it back the past couple games so as not to show too much. And uh, but but in this case, I don't think we have a whole lot of that because the, these are teams that weren't necessarily in all the way. I know Thomas Moore was one of the first to clinch, but uh, but in Hopkins' case, you know they weren't they weren't in really until the final Saturday. Yeah, and if you're Johns Hopkins. You get to look at the uh, the Mount St. Joseph game, which was a key game for them, and you get to look at the Washington and Jefferson game along with the game against Geneva. And and those are those are much probably much better representations of Thomas More's season than than the the three Hopkins game that games that Thomas More will get uh, are representations of of, uh, of its season. But that being said, you know this is the time of year where you know obviously players, you know. I don't want to say earn their money because they don't earn any money or or scholarship or anything like that, but they, you know, they, that this is when when players emerge as uh, as as really you know the really great players separate themselves from the from the kind of average Joes, and uh, it's the same way among coaches. These guys have to very quickly get a read on the other team, figure out how that applies to their team. And, and install that and get it get it in quickly so that the the uh, their players understand what the game plan is what the plan of attack is and you know if they're really good coaches understand what the adjustments will be if things don't work early on Saturday looking at one of the other games in this bracket uh, real quickly Keith uh, Wesley is going to get video of the uh, Howard Payne Mississippi College game which is a, a loss for Mississippi College 38-24 so they may be able to learn something from that we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about uh, the shootout between Mississippi College and Huntington, or the, uh, you know, the the tight game that turned into a blowout for Wesley over North Carolina Wesleyan, but that second uh, round game should be pretty interesting. Yeah, we have you have two talented teams. You know, Wesley's gotten used to facing a team in the playoffs from the American Southwest. You know, it's usually been Mary Harden Baylor, and this year it's uh, it's Mississippi College. But they know the talent level that that comes out of that conference, and uh, Wesley's going to be absolutely certain that they they have to play. You know, good pass defense against that that attack that's led by uh, Adam Schaefer, and they're going to have to attack Mary Harden Bale. I mean, excuse me, Mississippi College down the field because that that's pretty much where their weakness seemed to be in uh, in the Howard Payne game. For for Wesley, this is going to be the the best team that they've faced, I guess. That uh, uh, I suppose that may be debatable that because of the they've played some scholarship teams. Uh, for Mississippi College. You know, maybe Wesley's the best team. Maybe Mary Harden Baylor's the the best team. But uh, you know, stylistically, there's not much comparison between those two. No, of course, Mary Harden Baylor has its very unique, you know, run the ball three quarters of the time attack, and uh, that's something that if you if you've played them before, you know, that you sort of have a, a a book on them and you have a plan on, on how to how to try to start to stop Mary Harden Baylor. And and Mary Harden Baylor I think is the type of team where it doesn't doesn't necessarily matter if you know what they're doing. It really matters can you can you match up with them and stop it. Whereas Wesley I think has quite the array of uh of, of offensive talent this season where it's gonna be pretty hard for Mary Harden Baylor to uh, Mary Harden Baylor for Mississippi College to figure out where the attack is coming from you know, necessarily before it even uh, it even figures out how to stop it because Wesley, as we've mentioned, you know, over the course of the season has used five running backs prominently. You know, obviously teams use several receivers and, uh, you know, they have a main guy in, uh, in, in Ellis Kraut, but they have a quarterback that, that can scramble that's not afraid to run the ball. So for, for Wesley, it's a pretty diverse offensive attack and it's going to be uh, quite the task for the Choctaws defense to, uh, to figure out how to stop them. Uh, looking over at the Mountain Union bracket, let's see. Um, all right, blowout. 
Yeah, another blowout. Okay, let's talk about the game you were at, the Montclair State uh, Maine Maritime game. Since we're talking about offensive styles, you know, that's a great example of of uh, Maine Maritime's a triple option team. And uh, Montclair State, you know, knows nothing about them before this week, before they see the bracket come out on Sunday. And they have to get this, they get this matchup, and you have to figure out how to stop it. And, and as we've talked about in-game adjustments, you know, the first two to three drives – Main Main Maritime, you know, is a team that's not physically bigger or stronger than Montclair State. They did Main Maritime did what they wanted to, ran the ball up and down the field. You know, uh, didn't score on every drive, but was able to um, to move the ball. And you thought, wow, this could be a game where whoever has the ball last wins. In game adjustment, though, Montclair State realized Main Maritime is not going to hurt them in the passing game, so they they move the, the safety down in the box, and they're able to change their uh, their offensive front. And I don't think Maine, uh, their defensive front, I'm sorry, I don't think Maine Maritime ever really adjusted to that. Uh, you know, Montclair made, made an adjustment against the option and, and over the in the second quarter really started playing the option much better. And then Maine Maritime didn't have anything they could go to. And I think when you get to uh, this this level, when we start talking about Mary Harden Baylor, they, you know, if, if they get matched up against a defensive team that, that can play the run, that can stop their running game a little bit. Mary Harden Baylor, the good, the good Mary Harden Baylor teams that we've seen separate themselves from the pretty, the the pretty good, the kind of good Mary Harden Baylor teams have been the ones that that have a little bit of passing game with them. And uh, and if Mary Harden Baylor has that, I think that will bode well for them uh, down the road. Keith, the uh, of course, <clears throat> Montclair State goes on to face. Mount Union uh, coming up this Saturday in the second round of the playoffs. Delaware Valley advanced by crushing Susquehanna, and they face Albright in a uh, rematch of the MAC championship game. The the Albright Alfred game um, is a game that uh, you know, despite being probably a six three game in in terms of the uh, seedings, um, you know, was a, a game I think that a lot of us thought was a a, a toss up, and it, it kind of turned out that way a little bit. Yeah, I think we definitely thought, you know, it was going to be hard to tell. First of all, you didn't know who was who was necessarily going to play quarterback for Albright and it turned out both uh both Patrick Subers and Tanner Kelly played on uh, on Saturday for the Lions and uh led them to that 35-25 victory. And then we didn't quite know what we're getting out of Alfred, a team that looked good early in the season and then kind of had that stinker against uh against Ithaca. And d- didn't know what kind of team that was going to be. So those those are really the fun first round games, the three six games and the four five games. And uh, for Albright, they've got a chance now to to avenge a loss that was a pretty devastating loss for them. You know they're undefeated and uh, and get beat by Delaware Valley forty five sixteen. When we talk about coaching staffs, you know uh, earning their respect at this point in the season. You know, Albright's going to have this opportunity now to look at the tape from the first game. They don't have to trade that tape with anyone because they were there when it happened and they, they have their own copy. And uh, figure out what Delaware Valley did so well the first time and how not to let it happen again. And I bet, of course, that they have a lot of other tape on Delaware Valley uh, from the regular season. And similarly, Delaware Valley is going to have a lot of other tape on Albright as well. Um, Albright making its first appearance in the playoffs since 1996, but John Marska, the head coach, uh, former coordinator at Teal, obviously this is not his first trip to the playoffs. No, we and we saw the pretty good Teal team beat Johns Hopkins in the first round of the playoffs uh, maybe three or four years ago. And, uh, you know, I thought it, they did a nice job, Albright did on Saturday, of uh, having to play two quarterbacks and but not having too much difference between the two of them in, in the sense that, you know, they combined for uh, – 
323 yards and three touchdowns. That's a nice line. If it was one quarterback, uh, Subers was 11 for 16. Kelly was 9 for 17, so 20 for 33 passing. Pretty nice, pretty nice day. And uh, and and defensively, you know, they got those those turnovers against Alfred, and that turns out to be the difference in in, in quite a few games. Um, we kind of skipped our way in and out of the uh, the Whitewater bracket, and uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on uh, Whitewater uh, crushing Lakeland seventy to seven. Jeff Shebler, uh adding to his list of records, he's now the all divisions all time leader in uh, scoring by a kicker, uh, and. Uh, you know, he, he holds that record for the entirety of the NCAA now. Uh, but uh, the team that uh, Whitewater faces on Saturday is Illinois Wesleyan, which uh, played one of the other big games of the first round, the big entertaining back-and-forth games in a game they beat Wabash in, in double overtime, 41-35. And, and the big stat there is the CCIW champion usually represents itself well, ex- except when playing against Mount Union in the playoffs. So... Uh, this is this is sort of like that same sort of test, you know. Whitewater has established itself as as good as Mount Union over the past uh, four seasons. So this is this is a huge test for Illinois Wesleyan. But by the same token, it's going to be one of the best teams that Whitewater has seen all season too. There was I had a question earlier this week. Uh, a couple of years ago, on the front page of the uh, website, we had a a regular standing chart that told us what the record was of each conference in the playoffs uh, in the postseason since we'd expanded to this uh, uh, pools system in 1999, went from 16 teams to 28, and of course now it's 32. Uh, that chart's no longer on the front page, but if you go on the left-hand side of the front page, there's a, uh, um, there's a menu uh, called Interactive, and below that is Frequently Asked Questions. Uh, in the playoffs section there, you can see the uh, list of each team uh, or of each conference's record, and yeah, the CCIW Keith after Saturday is only 17 and 14, but a lot of those w- of losses have come at the hands of Mount Union, where uh, CCIW is winning a first-round game and then getting sent to Alliance pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and you absolutely—that's part of of being a, a North Region team, at least it had been until the past three years now, where Mount Union's been sort of the the head of the East Region bracket, so to speak. But yeah, you know every every playoff record is sort of skewed because it ends with a with a defeat, and you have to win twice in the playoffs before you get ahead of, of 500. So actually, a, a 500 area record is pretty good for a uh, for a playoff conference. You know, you just you don't because it means you didn't have a lot of one and outs, and and you don't see CCIW teams lose very often in the first round. But you're right, you catch that that matchup pretty quick with a uh, with a championship level team, and that's the same. Same uh, boat Illinois Wesleyan is in this season playing Whitewater in the second round. The top conferences in that, uh, not surprisingly, the Ohio Athletic Conference number one, the 50-12 and 12 record over 800 winning percentage. Uh, the WIAC, the Wisconsin Conference, improved to 23-13 and 13 on Saturday. The Northwest Conference moved up to 20-11. and 11. Uh, The MIAC split two games, so they're, they dropped to 26-16. and 16. New Jersey Athletic Conference 21 and 13, and the American Southwest Conference went 2 and 0 on Saturday. They are 20 and 14 to kind of be a half game out of that top five. And you know those are, you know the that 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 list. Not surprisingly, Keith is is pretty close to the list of uh, top conferences that we run out there every once in a while when we rank the conferences. No, it's it's not surprising at all, and it's also the list of of teams that won on Saturday. You know, if you just go down down the list uh, of the conferences that perform the best, the OAC, the WIAC, the Northwest. Mayak, New Jersey, American Southwest, Mac, even North Coast, CCIW, and uh, and ACFC, which is really 
uh, on Wesley's behalf. You know, those are the teams, you know, that that, have, that all performed well on Saturday. All those teams won. I think uh, North Coast was 1-1, was one and one, had two teams in. But other than that, these are the teams that we'll see in the second round. And, and we've maybe said this before about the first round, where the first round is sort of where you separate the the good teams from the great teams. Uh, you know, the teams like Susquehanna that had a nice season in, in a decent league, but they're, they're not championship material necessarily. And I, and I don't mean that as a knock, but you, you just mean it as there there's a there's a level now, and you get to that, that level that starts to show itself in the second or third round of, uh, of teams that maybe have a chance to get to Salem. And a lot of those teams get eliminated in the first round. I don't have a quick stat handy for you on margin of victory in the first round, but we know there was really only – Three or four close games, and there were you know a couple games that were a little bit in doubt, and there were a bunch of blowouts. But I do have this stat, and, and this is interesting to me: the average score of the winning team in the first round was 42.6, and that that includes a 70 from Whitewater, 66 points from Delaware Valley, 56 from Mississippi College. A couple teams scored 55, and and Tryon scored 51. That's that's a lot of offense in the first round, and part of that is teams not being familiar with each other. And, and not having a really a defensive game plan that they've had a lot of time to prepare for. But I think part of it is difference in, in talent level. And as great as we talk about this this first round being this the, the finishes, the great finishes coming in, there are always a, a bunch of games where the talent level is just not really uh, really equal. You know, Whitewater, Lakeland being, being chief among them this week. And I think... You get into the second round, the round of 16, the round of 8. Now you start to see teams that match up talent-wise, and it's just going to be who plays better and uh, and who makes those better second-half adjustments. Keith, I think one of the other things about um, this first round that may have contributed to that was also good weather. It's not always good weather the uh, the third week in November. Yeah, so, some rain would have helped my picks a lot because uh, – the picks we made in the triple take, you know, I, I had some teams that I thought were pretty good defensively, and, and I thought they would play well defensively on Saturday, and I was sort of factoring in the difference in talent level between conferences and, uh, you know, the 42 points per per winning team. O- only winning team that, that scored fewer than 34 on, on Saturday was Johns Hopkins. Everyone else that, that won scored at least 34 or 35 points and uh, and on up there to 70, so... Offense was sort of the order of the day, and like you said, the weather was great from the East Coast all the way out to the to the uh, Midwest and, and West Coast. Great day for football. And uh, this Saturday, you know, that that's the weird thing about the playoffs is it's just, it's a five-week stretch, so you're going to get not only different looks offensively, but you're playing different weather situations, different, you know, some games on turf, some games on grass maybe. Yeah, you have to be prepared for all of it, and, and that's, I think, part of the fun of it. And I wanted to point out one other thing from uh... – Saturday before we move on and in, uh, into what's left if there are any second round matchups we have yet to cover but uh, Trine's win over Case Western Reserve gave the MIAA its first playoff victory since Albion won the national championship in 1994 they had been 0 and 9 in the uh, in the in the pools era in the automatic bid era and, and they had uh, their losing streak went back a few years even further than that and we talked about this pretty briefly last week in the podcast pat where he looked at that four that foursome trying case wittenberg and mount st joseph and somebody was going to get a win that that was real special to that program that one of those teams is going to be in the in the final eight you know and that's sort of you know they're trying and, and wittenberg now in in the 16 
But for to get to a final eight is pretty special, especially for a team from the, the the small small conference or a team that that a conference that hasn't had a lot of success like the MIAA. For, so so now you look at this Trine Wittenberg game as a game where one of those teams can sort of establish itself as a sort of not, up and coming is not the right word because they both you know they're past up and coming, but uh, but a, a team that's a threat now in, in the Midwest and uh, that that's a that's a big uh, big thing for for those teams to uh, to play for not just the playoff pride but but to establish something as a program to say hey we're going to be here year in and year out you know especially in the case of trying where we've seen that growth and they've they've gotten better every season it's this is the next logical step for them. You know, Keith, uh, if I'm looking around, the only second-round matchup that we haven't really mentioned at all um, is merely a rematch of Stag Bowl 32, and that's uh, Mary Harden-Baylor going out to Linfield. And that may be, you know, when it, when the dust settles, or the rubber pellets settle, as you like to say, that may be the, the, the matchup that we get most excited about as Saturday approaches. Because uh, two teams, very, very talented programs you know we we know that obviously and and the, the stag bowl matchup will the stag bowl rematch the last stag bowl that didn't have mount union or whitewater in it uh there'll be some memories you know probably brought up in terms of that game especially it was such a close game and, and it was sort of a weird play that that where where mary harden baylor didn't get a punt off and and that set up linfield for the game winning touchdown late in the fourth quarter of that game but i think even the more interesting thing with, with respect to this season is is you don't know what the ceiling is for Linfield or, or Mary Harden Baylor, you know, because Mary Harden Baylor lost a game and and started using a freshman quarterback midway through the season, and because Linfield hasn't had a, a, a I guess a real high profile game, you know, they they play Willamette, and, and you know they they play Cal Lutheran on Saturday and play tough, but they you just don't know what to make. You don't know how good they are, and I think that's maybe the case with with Wesley. I think too, you know, we know that that. Mountain Union and Whitewater are good enough to get to Salem. You know, we know that for a fact. Well, Keith, let me add to that mystery, too, because I've seen Linfield play, and uh, and I still am not entirely sure how good they are. I, I thought they looked pretty good, uh, especially in the second half against Occidental. Uh, and now, granted, we're going back, you know, deep into September to pick up this game. Uh, you know, Occidental didn't finish great. Um, you know, the... Uh, Linfield lost its uh, its best running back in that game, and, and I don't really know what to make of them either. Remember, they played Harden Simmons earlier in the season too. They played the healthy Harden Simmons, uh, and you know the Harden Simmons that finished out the season, you know, isn't really indicative of what was on the field for for most of that game uh, it, early on in September. I, I don't really know what to make of Linfield either. And you don't, we're not going to overlook St. Thomas and Co. or Trine and and Wittenberg or Illinois Wesleyan, but if you're looking at this bracket. Big picture, and you're and you're saying three weeks from now, who's going to be left standing? You know, you see Whitewater on this side of the bracket, and and then you see Mary Harden Baylor way down at the other at the end, Mary Harden Baylor and Linfield, and and you got to think the winner of that game has got the best chance to uh, to to keep Whitewater from getting to Salem. Can't argue with that. So that's probably got to be the end of our Around the Nation podcast. That was the the week that was for Week 12, the first round of the playoffs. Uh, Coming up this week, stick around for uh, continuing playoff coverage as we get you ready for second-round games. Uh, We're going to do a lot of stuff early in the week this week so that we get get it to to you ahead of Thanksgiving before you go uh, wherever you go uh, if you get a chance to... uh, 
travel and visit with family or travel for Division Three football game. We wish you safe travels. For Keith McMillan, and I'm Pat Coleman.